Grace Clark. I declare bankruptcy. Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression. Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Try you ignorant slut. Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. Welcome to the Great Scott Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my desk mate, Jacob. What's uh, up, buddy? Well, not too much. Uh, you know, just another day in the life in Western PA. Oh, boy. I bet it's great. <laughs> it's nice and cool here, so I like it. Had the hibachi for, for dinner, so that was nice. But I've been kind of sick, so that's been a bummer, so... Hibachi's great. Hibachi did is you, great. Did you and your wife take home in a waitress? No, we did not. <laughs> no, they get one of those. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> well, as always, uh, we're a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, so visit brokenjars.xyz to check out all the other shows. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so last week you may have noticed, listeners, that uh, – I don't know if it was a shorter episode, maybe by a hair, but we definitely covered less episodes than usual because uh, we got a little chattier than we had anticipated. So we are kicking right off this week with uh, jumping into The Return, which is like the second half of the Traveling Salesman Dwight Schrute arc. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got four whole episodes lined up to discuss this week. Yeah, uh, This was... Directed by Greg Daniels, written by Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stupinski and Michael Schur. So, I mean, this was like all the people (laughs) were writing this one. Yeah. So, you know, this one opens up and Dwight's going on his interviews. Yeah. And he's like, part of me wonders after watching this, like, how did he get this job at Dunder Mifflin? (laughs) You know, because he's got like a book that is his resume you know he's got multiple yeah. resumes he's got this other part where he goes in and starts like he's obviously at a female run company he's like so how would you describe yourself alpha male jackhammer relentless uh, insatiable <laughs> insatiable I'm like oh this does foreshadow dwight being terrible with women yeah and, but you would think that he he could Maybe he just doesn't sell the women. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe there's enough business out there that he can be the number one salesman and not have to, you know, really talk to women at all. Yeah, that's true. I mean, part of me thinks that uh, some of the Dwightiness that we're so used to probably came from his experience at Dunder Mifflin, you know? Like maybe he didn't come in as a young salesman so full of like self-importance. But as he found out he was good at it, maybe that uh, tainted his, uh, you know, his perception of himself, that his karate skills were applicable on a job resume and that kind of thing. Well, we even see some of this kind of stuff in um, season two where uh, Pam and Jim put him up on um, like Monster.com or something and he gets the call from like Camera Mill or whatever. Yeah, that's true. He's like... What was it? Because he asked about like a, a martial arts section or something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I will say I think too, and I, I don't know how long you've been at your current place, but I've been at my job for like five years, and it does feel weird to like look for another job 
because you know so well how to do your job at your company. So, like, you forget that, like, other companies are looking for, like, slightly different things or whatever, you know? Right, yeah. I don't know. What I do is pretty pretty specialized. So, I pretty much, if I were going to take another job somewhere else, it'd be for more money and, like, be to manage people who do what I do. You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, I don't have that issue as much because I'm really specialized. Yeah, but I mean, like, in... In the Scranton branch, Dwight's personality, I guess, is, like, a positive thing, you know? Right. Even though, like, people make fun of him or whatever, but it's, like, it's accepted and people understand that, you know, these are the things that make Dwight a great salesman. But I think him being Dwight at another company is, like, like well, actually, in this episode, we see it, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll get into it, but obviously his personality kind of clashes with people who aren't from the Dunder Mifflin corporate culture. Right, who haven't been working with them forever. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And so, in, yeah. In this episode, we get the classic sort of episode-long prank on Andy and his ringtone, which is fantastic. Uh, and, you know, this is where, like, Andy just, like, hits peak Andy, and he's just insufferable. Just insufferable this entire time. Yeah. He feels like he's won, but now he can't get enough FaceTime with Michael, so he feels like he's losing. And Yeah, well, it's weird, too, because he didn't seem that insufferable, uh, you know, in uh, Stanford. Like, obviously, he was a yes-man to Josh, um, but everybody kind of tolerated him okay. But from what we see, like, he's, like, really overbearing. Well, it could just be like what you're talking about with Dwight. Like, everyone was just kind of used to Andy's yeah, personality in Stanford. And right. wasn't he the number two in Stanford anyway? Like, Well, that, that's the thing. That's how he – or maybe he was before Jim got there because now you think about, like, the convention. Jim was the one who went with Josh, not Andy. It's true. Um, and Andy kind of makes a big deal about working under Jim here. Mm-hmm. But – I always thought he had been working under Jim regardless, you know? So he had, like, this weird, like, you're the new guy mentality, even though he was his superior. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess because Andy can parse out, like, okay, Michael is the decision maker, so he's who I'll suck up to. But Dwight is an adversary, you know? So I will not be friendly with him. And I think Dwight probably fit more in the adversary category than the decision maker category, which is why like all the jokes and like the weird conversations about the crazy blonde lady who you should not date who sits in that break room. (laughs) 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 And so Andy is being insufferable and he, so he starts fishing for tuna, right? Oh yeah. And, Jim is trying so hard to get Karen to help him because you know he doesn't want to go to Pam first, you know, but he's like, please help me. I right. need something. And then he like tries to get Ryan to help him and he wouldn't help him either. And so, you know, that keeps going. And like, there's this great talking. He's like, wow, I miss Dwight. You win <laughs> universe or something like that. It's- and okay, so here's another weird thing, right? 
So Michael shows up, and it's we know it's the winter. I mean, it's like February, March time. It's cold. We see the snow on the set, and his convertible is down. Why right. was your convertible? Like, was the weekend, was it one of those weird, like, springtime things where, like, the weekend's, like, 70, and a cold front moves in, and it, you know, starts snowing kind of thing? Or Yeah. I always I mean, wondered that. I think he, uh, so I don't, I'm, I'm not a car guy at all. But I don't think at any time the Chrysler Sebring was like a hot commodity car. I think it was probably a good car. It was a car that people liked driving because it was a car that drove. But I don't think at any moment was it like a like a luxury vehicle. No, it was kind of in the middle. It was, you know, it was popular because it had some good amenities and for the price, you know, for the price, it was, it was sort of one of those like cheap luxury car kind of thing right well that's the thing i think it's the uh the convertible top is what michael think is what makes michael think it's like a higher end car than it really is you know but still why 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 was it down it's the winter it's snowing outside why was it down well how are people supposed to see him which is i think is what dwight says right Right, but he, but yeah, but you or even earlier, he doesn't want to put it down because it's too cold outside, like in the condo episode. Right, right, that's true. It's like uh, I was just one of those things. Like I watched the episode, I'm just like, what? Why? Yeah, because like, of plot. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the, we also have Oscar showing up again, so he's he's done with his gaycation. Yep. <laughs> um. Which is a joke that Kevin made up, like, apparently right after Oscar left. Right, and he's just been uh, holding on to it. Yeah. I like to think, like, one minute, you know? Not not so quick that Kevin might actually run after Oscar to say it, but long enough that, like, Oscar is still close enough for him to do it, but Kevin's too lazy to run after him. Right. You know? <laughs> like, like, he's he sees like, oh, shoot, it's so far away. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because uh, he does something like that later. I'm trying to remember exactly where it was, but he's like... It's like he just realized someone had left. He's like, <laughs> forget. Yeah, I cannot remember where it, what it is though. <laughs> um, also, Angela has been real broken up this whole episode, which causes her to have a very odd conversation with Oscar upon his arrival. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't fully understand. Well, I guess because it's half relating to Oscar, half relating to Dwight. But uh, she she has this like crazy cryptic phrasing. Mm-hmm. She's like, I've treated certain people, certain ways, certain events have transpired, yada, yada. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of nuts. She starts crying, and Oscar forgives her and accepts a temporary invitation into the party planning committee. Not because he's gay. <laughs> uh, Kevin will never be. Ever. <laughs> ever. Such a great lie. He's like, never, ever. <laughs> I do like. I think the the use of the party playing committee to sort of show Angel's personality was really well done. Yeah, like that's hers. Period. Like it's one of those things, and she rules with an iron fist. You know. Yeah. Because you wouldn't expect it out of this, you know, eighty six pound blonde woman. No, definitely not. Uh, but she she's very commanding. That's probably what Dwight likes about her. Oh, you know it's what. <laughs> so so there's a lot of stuff going on here. So we got Oscar coming back. Right. We got Michael making the party planning committee throw a party for Oscar's return. 
Right. We we got Dwight eventually finding a job at Staples. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, the cell phone. Right, and then we've got Andy and the cell phone and Jim and Pam. And, then, like, and it's and then we were finding out like how much Dwight did around the office, like watering the plants and right. r- arranging Michael's toys in yeah. a pleasing manner. Yeah, Michael definitely is like his celebration of Oscar's return is really just a mirror kind of story to what he would like to do for Dwight. It's kind of like what we're learning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because ultimately, so if, you know, for those of you who are playing at home <laughs> and who have never watched The Office for whatever reason, Dwight quits last episode because of this thing that Michael thinks is a betrayal. But I guess based on his behavior in this episode, it seems like Michael's endgame wasn't to have fired Dwight, though. You yeah, know? it kind of seems that way. He probably overreacted a bit about it. Well, actually, right. he didn't fire Dwight. Remember, Dwight quit. Well, Dwight quit. Well, that's what I mean, though, because like Michael was yelling and freaking out. Right. But, like, what was his ultimatum situation? More laundry? <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, that gets brought up later in the episode, actually. Yeah, that's true too. So, I mean, this is a really good Angela Michael character episode because you see Angela really like she misses Dwight so much, and she has a like conversation with. Pam about it and it's like she's like fine I'm just gonna suck it up and tell Michael what happened you know and you know and then Michael has this really like the scene in Staples is really good because he's like, like you know really he, he honestly apologizes he's like look I made a mistake he didn't try he didn't try to blame anybody else like he always does you know he just straight up owns the fact that he screwed up and I thought that was a really big you know move for Michael he's like he understands that Dwight needs to be at the office, and right. he's just—he's got to do it. He's got—he's got to man up and do it. Yeah. Um, I think it's a rare moment too for Michael to like to see that. Normally, he's not as insightful as that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but obviously, despite how often he picks on Dwight and makes fun of Dwight, they are friends and they do have like a connection or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Where are we? So Karen won't help. Ultimately, the Jim and Pam get together to prank Andy. Mm-hmm. So let, so we'll, we'll, we'll tease this for a bit. Andy has been calling his own phone where he does an acapella version of Rock and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> All four and, parts uh, took, yeah, took forever. It took forever. Recorded himself. Um, so ultimately what Jim does is he uh, pretends to knock over a pencil cup full of pencils, picks up the phone while he's going through things, gives it to Pam. And this culminates in Jim and Pam going into the, what would you call it? The lunchroom. Yeah, it's like the kitchen area. Yeah, going into the ceiling and hurling Andy's phone so it's directly above his seat. What I love about that is no one notices except for Stanley. Stanley like looks up. But no one else flinches. And he's the one who wouldn't say anything because he doesn't give a damn, right? Right. He, just, he, yeah. does, not give a, he does not give two shits. Uh, so the prank is essentially Jim or Pam calling the phone at any given time so that it rings and causes Andy to have to look for the phone. Uh, and it's pretty great. Uh, yeah, it, although it, I feel like at some point you would just know where it is. 
You would think. Like I know, I, I have a vague understanding of how sound works, <laughs> and it does have like a, a an origin point. Um, right. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. You know, at some point you're like, it's up in the sea. But even, yeah. I don't know. I think Andy was freaking out too much to try and like really get his head around what's going on because Jim told him exactly where it was and he just didn't yeah. want to listen to it. I mean, and it is like an unrealistic situation, right? Like who would really think that your stuff would be stolen and then put into the ceiling? <laughs> so, you know, I guess in his heightened state of anger, it's not something that seems conceivable at the moment. Well, you but, know? you know, he's known Jim long enough to where if, like, if I worked with Jim and he was like, maybe he's in the ceiling, I'd be like, oh, crap, it's in the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, but does Andy know that Jim pranks? Because... As far as I know, he never found out about Jim being the person who put his stuff in the Jello. Jim was very adamant about keeping that a secret. And uh, aside from some snippy remarks and stuff, it seems like his retaliations to Andy were more like in verbal mockery as opposed to like elaborate pranks. Right. So this could be like his first taste. That's true because we saw in in Stanford that Andy does have some. Uh... Some anger issues. So maybe yes. he'd been reluctant to prank Andy because he knew the anger issues. Right. But, you know, him saying zombie way too loud, you know, maybe yeah. was the uh, the catalyst to, to go back and start pranking Andy. Right. That's just not a cool thing to do. Like, if you work in an office, don't sing. Yeah. Yeah. I've had people, like, I've had pe- co-workers in the past that would. And, oh, it's terrible. Um, so we do see a bit of Dwight in working in Staples. You know, he is basically just a, a customer service representative on the floor, nothing special. Right. Um, he is seen selling a printer, which, you know, if you've ever worked in retail, you know that, you know, there's impulse items or maybe a hot ticket item that, you know, your store manager might tell you to push. And I guess Dwight was able to sell it. Indicating that Dwight obviously still has a lot of skills when it comes to sales. Right. Um, but he does have some interesting interactions with the customers and coworkers that don't jive quite well in that environment. Uh, the first is a older woman who is just browsing. Mm-hmm. And when Dwight offers help, she says she's fine. And he says, I will literally be right here if you need anything at all. Causing her to leave the aisle entirely. Uh, and then similarly, while he's in the break room eating lunch with a coworker, you know, like you would with a stranger, you're talking about the weather and a bunch of nonsense. And it comes out that not only does Dwight insult her for not having snow tires. chains for his tires, snow right? Tires. Snow tires and exceptional hand-eye coordination, <clears throat> but uh, she well it doesn't say it specifically, but it does. Sound like he's calling her an idiot for not knowing who Dunder Mifflin is. Yeah, if it came came across that way. It's actually uh, I don't know if you you ever watch Community. Drink and Josh. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's Shirley from Community is the, the Staples worker. Yeah, it's a great show by the way. You should watch it sometime if you haven't out there. All you enlisting land. Yeah, I've never watched it, but I should. <laughs> there's there's a great scene <laughs> where. Um, Oscar's helping Kelly set up the party, and Kelly says, "Hey, Oscar, uh, do you do you just love Lance Bass now?" And he's like, "Who's Lance Bass?" 
It's like, yeah. he, well, he's a, like a great singer and he's gay. It's like, you really need to learn more about your culture, Oscar. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, so I tried to talk to my girlfriend about this a bit. Because um, I don't, I mean, obviously Kelly is out of touch regardless. So we should never yeah. be taking what Kelly says as gospel. But part, part to me, part of the joke is that Lance Bass, even at the time, I mean, this episode aired January 18, 2007. I can't believe that Lance Bass was the most iconic homosexual person in early 2007. There must have been at least a dozen other people who fit that bill. So I'm, I'm just thinking that that is more of Kelly's out-of-touch boy band mall shopping sensibilities, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who Lance Bass is either. <laughs> oh my goodness, he's the gay one from NSYNC, Jacob. Come oh, on. Okay. Listen, we all picked boy bands, regardless if we wanted to or not. And I was an NSYNC fan. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, my favorite bit in the party setup is um, lemonada. Mexican so, lemonade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Ryan just looks at the cameras like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's so great. Um, also, another thing we haven't really touched on, but throughout this whole episode, even though Andy is freaking out about his phone, he's still doing talking heads, gloating about his role in getting Dwight to leave the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so that works in parallel with Angela kind of battling these internal thoughts about should she do something or not, because it's very important that she keeps this relationship secret from everybody. Um but ultimately, she does tell Michael some semblance of that information. Right. That uh, Dwight went to corporate to deliver documents that they didn't send out. And Michael, being the very insightful guy that he is, he's like, why would he do that for you? It's because he loves this company. <laughs> and Angel's like, yes, that's it. Would Let's anyone else have done this for you? No, especially not Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely hiding her feelings there. Uh, so this causes Michael to want to go find Dwight. To and, al- his job. and also, you know, Andy's like really getting into like Michael's face. And there's a good, you know, thing with um, Jim where Michael's like, what do you think of Andy guys? Like Andy's a yes man. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just interesting that uh, it's always interesting when Michael is not Michael. But Michael becomes like a person who learns something and grows. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those instances where like he's like, oh, I get it. Humans. People people behave in weird ways. Um, but yeah, so this is also the same time where Andy is at the height of his anger at the prank. Um, and it causes him – no. Okay, so this is what happens. He, uh, he has a conversation with Michael. Where are you going? Can I come with? Uh, let's hang out this weekend. He lists a whole thing. Of no, 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 I actually wrote down because it's one of my favorite Andy quotes. It's you, me, beers, bars, buzzed, wings, shots, drunk, waitresses, hot, football, Cornell, Hofstra, slaughter. Yeah. And, and Michael just loses anymore. like, no, I don't want to do any of that. And then Andy's still trying to save face. He's like, well, duh. That's why I suggested it as a joke. Um, but Michael shuts him down, says, listen, you know, stop it. Then the phone rings. <laughs> and Andy, like, finally loses it. And he punches a wall. 
through a wall. Through a wall I mean, for the first time. Drywall. Yeah. That's that's hard to that's hard to punch through. Yeah, I mean it's not going to feel great for sure. No. Um, and he does it, and everybody sees it, and he says that was an overreaction, which is an accurate <laughs> statement. Uh, Michael leaves. Andy hides in the kitchen area, icing his own hand, pretending to get coffee. Um, and then we go back to Dwight. So he is talking to someone about, oh, about paper. That's what he is, actually. He's all like, well, fine, use whatever garbage paper or something like that. <laughs> it's your funeral. Yep. Uh, Michael strolls up, and they have a conversation, essentially, you know, kind of feeling each other out about who's coming at what perspective. Right. So Michael feels bad, and he tells Dwight that he knows about Angela, but Dwight assumes it's the whole shebang. Right. Not, real, not realizing this half-truth that Michael knows. Um, yeah, and eventually Michael offers Dwight his job back. So in excitement, he removes his Staples shirt and throws it, walks out of the Staples building in a snowstorm in nothing but a T-shirt, and then they set off to Dunder Mifflin. Now, continuity error, right? Um, obviously, Michael's car doesn't have the top up. Right. And we see Dwight leave Staples in a T-shirt. But when he gets to Dunder Mifflin, he's got a jacket, presumably Michael's jacket. Well, you would he's assume... also got a sweater. Right, but you would also assume that his car was at Staples, right? So you think they followed each other? Maybe. You know, I mean, it's not like Dwight walked there. I'm sure he drove. And this is actually the first time we see the Battlestar Galactica uh, sweater. Because yes. we see well, it. That's the thing. It's definitely Dwight's sweater. It's not yes. Michael's sweater, right? Yeah. And we see because we see it again in Survivor Man. Yeah. Is that but it happened? No, no, not yet. No, that's next steps. That's next season. Yeah. And we also get a great, you know, Creed moment where he eats like a chimichanga and he's like, Meredith, where'd you get these? Like, I don't know. This, this one grocery store. What? Else? I don't know. Draw me a map, mama. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so Dwight shows up. He's back in the office. Um, Angela comes up and gives this really awkward handshake. There's a lot of sexual tension in that handshake. It's fine. Um but then Michael, and I also don't think it was Michael being sneaky. I think it's just Michael being a little dumb. But uh, he says that the party that is in front of everybody is for Dwight's return. Right. Even though three feet away it says, welcome back, Oscar. Yeah, I wondered about that. Maybe he's just trying to make Dwight feel better. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell him. But Oscar was having a good time until Angela rudely left the conversation they were having to greet mm -hmm. Dwight again. Um, and then, so Andy's still kind of hiding in the break room at this point, so he's pretty much done. Um, then, uh, so they're all enjoying the party or whatever. Oh, okay. Then there's another weird thing that happens here where, um, in the last episode, Phyllis lets drop that Jim had a crush on Pam. Right. Um, they had a brief conversation about it last episode at the coffee shop, and everything seemed fine. 
But because of the pranking with Andy in this episode, Jim and Pam are a little close or whatever, and Karen's getting all suspicious. So they have a conversation in the break room, coincidentally, when no one's in there for whatever weird reason, even though all the food's in there. Where she asks, do you still have feelings for her? And he says, yes. She storms out. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. Yeah. And we never see her again for the rest of that episode. Yeah. Which which makes sense because she's mad at Jim. But it makes me think, wow, Jim's kind of a jerk. Because he doesn't like try to find her or make her feel better or anything. Because in the next bit where with the pinatas, Jim's hanging out next to Pam. It seems like that's the exact opposite thing you'd want to do when you're trying to keep your current girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, this is just really one of those times where Jim's just kind of a jerk. At least he was honest about it and didn't lie to her. But Right. That's true. Um, I mean, and I know you, I don't, I don't know. For me, it's one of those things like, why didn't you just dump his ass, Karen? You're a beautiful woman. You'll get somebody quickly if you want to. It's true. Maybe somebody dressed up in a hot dog costume. Yeah, you know, it's like you're smart, you're pretty, you seem nice, you'll be fine. Like, she appears intelligent. <laughs> she appears, yes, because I love the appearance of intelligence. <laughs> but yes, uh, I don't. I just don't know why, like, she put up with so much shit from Jim. Yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. But maybe, well, I don't know. Because it's not like she lived in some random place in Connecticut like they do in Scranton. Right. Like, I'm sure she was around a lot of people. She could have picked whoever she wanted. Mm-hmm. She picks Jerk Jim. It's terrible. <laughs> you know, and it's not like, you know, she's far from Philly or whatever, you know. Right. That's a pretty densely populate, populated area, so she'd be fine. Yeah. Um, so there, there, is a, there is one really funny bit I really like. Because this is, this is the season to where Phyllis really starts getting a lot of personality. And so my Michael, like he's got to, um, I don't know, drum thingy, the shaker things. I don't know. Oh yes, the mar- uh, the maracas. Maracas, yeah. And so he like taps on the the break the the conference room glass, like Pam, yeah. if you shake, I'll shake mine. Then you shake yours. And Pam's like, no. But then Phyllis starts like shaking her tits for Michael. <laughs> it was like it was pretty funny. He like yeah, loses it's, it. It's intense. And she goes for it. Easy rider. Back in action. <laughs> um, so the episode ends with the pinata being lowered. Uh, honestly, it probably should have been Oscar doing it, but Michael gives Dwight the broom. And then it's it's a great little bit, too, where some, I forget who, but someone goes to put the blindfold on Dwight, and he goes, no, I don't need it. As if he thought that was going to help him or something. <laughs> Right. And then the episode fully closes out with Andy going to anger management. Right. Have we decided why he was leaving the show for this period of time? Like, could they just not afford to have him around, or was he going and shooting a movie, or what? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's too early for the first Hangover movie. Yeah. That was really his first like starring role. So anything else, he only would have been like a minor character. Uh, You know what movie came out maybe around that time? What's that car sale movie with Jeremy Priven? Mm. Well, maybe it was that because he is in that. Jeremy Priven, the the goods. Oh yes, that movie's actually pretty funny. Yeah, it's not bad. Well, it was released in 2009, 
So, but according to production, doesn't say. Not a very good wiki article. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we guessed something around like 2008. Uh, he was in a movie. Um. It's really hard to say. He was in Harold and Kumar. He was in Semi-Pro. He was in Walk Hard. He was in Evan Almighty. All in that kind of time frame. Was it possible he was still on The Daily Show? Maybe. But even then, I mean, if he was doing two shows, it's not like they would need him. Right. For a specific time. I mean, also, too, at that point, he wasn't really quite a main character. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe that writers were just like, all right, well, let's just write Andy off for a bit. Because we also don't know why Oscar was off the show for half the season. Right. And we can't find a reason for him to not have been around either. Yeah. I mean, it could have just been, like I said, it could have just been a budget thing. Like, hey, guys, we don't need you this entire season. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's let's do our reviews here. Okay. And uh, I'm going to break the ice only because last episode, like I said, I do treat traveling salesman and the return as same the same episode. Mm-hmm. And I gave traveling salesman this. So I'll give the return this. It's a 4.5 lemonadas. Okay. It's, it's it's a good episode. There's a lot mm-hmm. going on, and I and I like all the, the all the ways that the writers are pulling us. Huh. So according to Reddit, it was The Hangover because they filmed The Hangover, but then it took a while to get actually like released and stuff. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, this is uh, I like this episode. You know, like it's, like we said, it's pretty much from you know one episode with the uh, with traveling salesman. Uh, it's a good Michael character episode. Um, good well, in good Angela. You know, we start building stuff with Pam and Jim and all that crap. So that's right. good. Um, I'm going to give it a three, uh, three out of five boros. Donkey. Mm-hmm. Of course. We should get you a donkey if you want one. <laughs> your your gayness doesn't define you. Your Mexicanity defines you. Because <laughs> that's a word. Yeah. All right, so next up, we have Ben Franklin. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was written by Mindy Kaling, directed by Randall Einhorn. Aired February 1st, 2007. Um, Yeah, this is a fun episode, too. (laughs) All right, so the cold open is where Michael's filming his teaching his son how to do stuff video. Yeah. It's all just terrible, terrible advice. And he's like, he's like, all right, to, to jumpstart a car, you just take these and clip them anywhere. And you take these and clip them anywhere else on the other car. And you see Dwight, like, shake his head in the camera, like, nope. Right. It's like, and now we'll teach you how to take a, a, a bra off a woman. And yeah. Pam will demonstrate. She's like, what? No. Uh, and then we get a glimpse of Rain Wilson's back. As the stand-in for Pam. Yep. <laughs> uh. 
Um, yeah. I was just like, do I want? Do we want to go down that side road? But probably not. <laughs> keep <on trucking>. <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep twisting that bra till something breaks. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so um, this this episode yeah. kind of dovetails into the next episode with Phyllis's wedding because he's talking about it. He's like six days away, and he's like. You know, it's my job to make sure you don't look like ragamuffins. He tells Karen to maybe invest in a dress, you know. Right. Because apparently she doesn't have one. Uh, Let's see. What else? What else? What else? Well, so, I mean, they pretty much decide to do the, uh, what the hell do you call it? Bridal shower. And uh, what the hell's the groom one called? The bachelor party? Bachelor party. That's it. Obviously not married. I don't know. (laughs) So to uh, make it fair, because obviously there's some concerns that a stripper would be in the building. And that only the... Packer talks Michael into getting a stripper. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, he barely had to try, though, right? Separate but equal. (laughs) Oh, that's what that means. (laughs) Um so we get strippers for both groups, or rather entertainers. <laughs> Let's keep it at that. Yes. Um, so they task Dwight, well, originally Jim, but then Dwight, to find the stripper for the men. And Jim is given the task to find the entertainer for the women. Right. Originally, you know, he's if, to call them. Yeah. Just to be fair, if I was tasking anybody in the office for finding a stripper, it'd be Creed. Just to see the crazy shit that came out of that. Yeah, I was going to say, I would not do that because of that specific reason. I'd be afraid of what kind of weird, breaking bad style lady shows up or dude or whatever. Yeah. Seems terrifying. And also, this would definitely get Mike fired. Oh, 100%. 100%. We yeah. even, like, you know, when Michael calls. Jan later in the episode Tom would have she's like oh, I'm closer to firing you than breaking up with you <laughs> yeah that's exactly right any other boss would have fired him yeah uh, that's a benefit of doing your boss guys you can bring a stripper into your workplace um, so Jim's no, no, supposed to call yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim's supposed to be calling a place called Banana Slings I believe um, but he ends up calling like this Pennsylvania Scholastic something or other. Scholastic Speakers of Pennsylvania? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but because I actually asked this question in my notes, I'm just going to bring it up anyway. Like, how? what percentage of male strip clubs do you think are banana-themed in the country? You, you would think that it just seems like the majority of them would be banana-themed. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say, well, I don't know if it'd be more than 50, because I think there's still a lot of phallic things for those places to be called. But I would give it as high as 30%, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a, quite a few. Yeah. There's, there's something else in this episode where, like, Jim's tired and he's talking to Pam in the vending machine area. Yeah. And you can tell Jenna Fisher's sick. Like, you can just hear it in her voice, and, like, she's super flushed, and, like, you can tell she can barely breathe. I'm like, oh, poor Jenna Fisher. You think so? Yeah. And it's when they're talking about sleep, and, like, it's a, it's a right. good scene, because, like, Pam 
Pam doesn't know how to not be flirty with Jim, and she's like trying to like talk to him, like, yeah, when I get eight hours instead of six hours, it's so much better. And you can tell like she's just like struggling so hard to like try, <laughs> yeah, to say something, true. you know. Yeah. It you know, and it's also ominous when like the person you're into is like, yeah, I've been up late talking to my girlfriend for the last four or five nights. Yeah, it's like this interesting place where I think she I think she is conflicted that she wants to help her friend but similarly sees this as an opportunity for her to like squeak in. And then like once she starts becoming deeply involved, I think it's why later on she has those feelings that she has is because you can go into a conversation like this with a lot of preconceived feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the direction it takes is what takes its toll on her ultimately. Right. Right, right. Uh, there's all like, there's really no purpose for it. That's actually, there is no purpose for the sex scene shop. Like you right. don't even really see what he buys, but it's right. a pretty funny scene. Cause you just sitting there laughing for like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, but it is great to see the censored out jiggle of fake body parts. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh yeah. Like I said, there's really no purpose for it because it never really comes back up. Like it's not like he bought, you know, a sex toy that ended up being like on display somewhere or whatever. Like, you just right. see, like, uh, Ryan carrying a bag, and he's got, like, one of those, like, feather whips. But beyond that, there's no point in having that scene. No. You're totally right. I wonder if there was something in the deleted... Like, you may know this, but, like, was there something in the deleted scenes where they brought up something, but then they cut it out, or... Yeah, I don't specifically recall. I was thinking maybe... So maybe they didn't show up. Maybe the purpose was like maybe there was a game or something, you know? Like they were going to have like a weird game with the toys or something. <laughs> toys. Boy, jeez. What a conversation we're having. Man. Well, we all <laughs> knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at a list of some notable deleted scenes from this episode and nothing is bringing that up. So it really just seems to be a one-off. Let's get Michael in a sex shop. So, the stripper shows up. What, do we know her name? Elizabeth. Oh, well, the actress's name is... Oh, I just had it up. It is Jackie DeBatten, but she plays Elizabeth the stripper. Right. Who, who shows up twice on this show, at least. Maybe uh, three times. At least three. Times. There's this episode, there's Fun Run, Fun Run and she shows up around Dwight's bachelor party. Gotcha. That's great. But I think there might be one more, but I can't think of it off the top of my head if there is. Uh, so she shows up and they're like, have you ever seen a Jim? That's right. Have you ever seen a stripper? And Troy's like, yes, Jennifer Gardner played one on alias. It was one of her yeah. many aliases. He's like, no, I haven't either. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe this is just, I just kind of assume every dude has seen a stripper at some point. Because we all have that douchebag friend who ends up like dragging us to the strip club at some point, so you're just like, whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah, let me tell you, I 
I don't have that douchebag friend, <laughs> but I used to live near a strip club, so it was really annoying um, because I lived a couple blocks off a highway exit, so I would take this exit to get to my place, but the strip club was on the corner of this exit. So a lot of times you would see the ladies, who I presume to be strippers, sitting outside smoking a cigarette or whatever. Now, they were always dressed in either a big coat or something, so you couldn't really see anything, but you could tell because of their shoes. Right. <laughs> very, very fancy shoes for what was going on around that club. Um, but people would like almost stop to a halt to get a glimpse at five inches of ankle of a potential stripper. And all the time I was like, I'm trying to get home, you sons of guns. Like, park and pay for it, why don't you? It's very, very difficult. <laughs> Ugh, good good times. So, and then we also have Ben Franklin show up, and they're all really bored until Pam asks, "Like, don't you have girlfriends in Paris?" And then things just start so you know snowballing with with Ben Franklin. Like Pam asks, "Like, do you wear boxers, briefs, or pantaloons?" And Ben Frank Ben Franklin tells her, "Like, oh, you're saucy," and like gives her this wink. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's great. Yeah, Ben Flank Franklin is like a great character. I wish he ca- came back also like Elizabeth the Stripper, but it's fine. See, I I would watch like a mini series of him being Ben Franklin. So <laughs> yeah, his exploits across Pennsylvania. <laughs> so that, that, I love that. I think that's fantastic. And then we see the the, the fabled George Foreman foot burning grill again. Yeah, you know he's grilling up some man meat, and obviously for whatever reason they don't have real silverware, so no one can eat. And like Creed's just like going for it, and, like Creed does. Yep, because we see this kind of like we see the, a similar thing in Beach Games in season four, where he comes up, like Creed comes up and there's like a fish with no skin or anything on it, and he's like, oh, no one told me we were having hot dogs." <laughs> well, yeah, because if you if you recall, he catches that fish by hand right he does like the tai chi freaking (laughs) grab from the water and um yeah then presumably also i imagine he ate it raw maybe even without cooking it yeah so creed's crazy and (laughs) we also have learned that he was homeless for a time Mm -hmm. so he probably is not opposed to eating things weirdly (laughs) with or without utensils yeah, so it was, yeah, yeah, Creed's awesome. But. <laughs> and we have this, there's also this great bit with Roy where he's like, you know what I find sexy? Pam's art. <laughs> yeah. She's trying, he's trying. And you know what? If he doesn't freak out in cocktails, he probably, he probably wins. He probably gets Pam. You think so? I think there's a good chance. Well, this is a conversation for another episode probably, but I, I felt like he probably didn't change enough, I think. Because he, he is too much. He had to say, see, I'm doing the thing you told me to do. And that is always a bad sign, I think, of actual change. Because it's like, see, I'm changing enough. Now you've let me in. Now I could go back to being good old Roy. Right. But then you have like, oh, no, but he does eventually change everything, right? Like, you know, when he gets married later down the line, season eight, season nine. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
but that ultimately takes like entirely being separated from Pam. Yeah. And having Pam get, well, she's not married to Jim. They're not even engaged yet. That's the episode where they get engaged. That's when we find that out, right? We find what out? That, um, like what Roy's been up to. You really don't see much out of Roy until season nine after he gets let go in the negotiation. Well, he comes back for, is it Crime Aid? Crime Aid, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Like, there's not really any indication of what he's been doing. I see. So we don't learn that until the finale. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Is that the finale? Is that, is that when that is? Or at least a later episode. It, it is a later episode. I know it's a later episode because we, we just watched it, but... Hmm. I don't know. Eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the more I watch this show, the more I'm just like, man, Roy wasn't as big of a douchebag as I thought he was. <laughs> like, I actually feel really bad for Roy now. Mm, I don't know about that. That, that that's a fair opinion for you to have, I think. But uh, well, as, well, I, I shouldn't say I feel bad for him because he did treat Pam like shit. It's just I don't feel as bad for him as I did when I first started watching it. You know, it's like you know what you yeah you were doing bad things, but so was Pam. I mean, Pam was definitely cheating on you a lot. She wasn't cheating on him, Jacob. <laughs> pretty close it's not cheating if you have conversations with people of the opposite sex okay well i know but i mean that being that emotionally involved with somebody like that when you're in a relationship i mean that to me is a bit that that is directly a result of roy's behavior and his emotional abuse and neglect of pam's feelings jacob (laughs) how dare you try to victimize pam here i will not stand for it the show is over (laughs) friendship over (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I just feel I have it at least three times in my notes where I just say poor stripper and like she just gets like oh yeah like, they make yeah, her, if we want to feel bad for someone it's going to be Elizabeth the stripper that's like, terrible she uh like they make her take phone calls right yes. but my question was they put her at Oscar's desk where was Oscar he was already back like we, I don't think he's in this episode at all Oh, that's a good question. I wonder if this is one of those episodes that um, is maybe out of order. Because this production code is 3016. And... No, no, no. Sorry. That's the wrong one. Ben Franklin... Production code... 3015. Yeah, and the return is 3013, so I kind of assume. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, Yeah. because Oscar is not downstairs either, I don't think. Yeah, I don't I don't remember seeing it in the entire episode. I wonder if it gets explained in the deleted scenes. Let's see. Yeah, fun fact, this is the second highest rated show uh, episode of the season. Hmm. In terms of, you know, viewers. No mention of Oscar on the wiki for this episode. So yeah, he's just not here. <laughs> oh, he's not even in the credits. So there you go. No Oscar. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe even though the production code, because we don't know if the production codes are related to like the actual release, the planned release schedule anyways, right? Right. Yeah. Because again, this is one of those episodes where, well, I mean, there is some 
Karen Pam stuff because Karen kind of like lays down the law to Pam a little bit. Like, look, I don't want you to think things are weird. It's cool with me, whatever. And Pam's all like, what? Yeah, it's cool. Whatever. You date him. You're already dating. You know, it's like she gets really flustered. So, yeah. So, I don't know. All in all, it doesn't do a whole lot for the overall storyline. Right. I'm trying to think. Like, I think what, what ends up happening is since we sort of had this big arc, um with back from vacation traveling salesman and the return that all kind of fed into each other you know and then we have a couple episodes that are just kind of here to refresh stuff right so uh well then one more thing there's a good line with the george foreman grill where michael comes in with the pile of steaks saying um who wants some man meat Dwight. I want man meat. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> okay, so, and let me tell you one more thing too about Elizabeth the stripper. Mm-hmm. Why well, I think she's very pretty. Yeah, she's cute. Yeah, she's so cute. that's what I will say. But I had seen her in other things after I watched this episode, and she's an episode of Twenty Four, season two or something like that. I don't know, but she plays some type of like White House liaison. <laughs> I could not not see a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> I just see her. She's like in a very formal suit, and she's trying to talk to Jack Bauer, which is very official business. And I'm like, "That's Elizabeth the stripper." <laughs> it's yeah. so funny how like how that'll that'll happen. Yeah, yeah, just super attached to her, and like that's her voice too. So even though she's being serious, she still has like this raspy kind of thing going on. So it's just Elizabeth the stripper the whole way. Well, she did well for herself. She she got out of the stripping game and became a White House liaison. That's how I always think. like to, to think about it. Became a White House liaison, then she became a nurse. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. That's fair. <laughs> uh, there's also this other great scene where Ben Franklin's just hitting on Pam at her desk. and You can just see the pure terror in her face. Like, oh, God, please make it stop. Please make it yeah. stop. <laughs> She's like, oh, this is happening. <laughs> yeah, because he reveals his real name. Like, and she goes... Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is not what someone wants to hear. And, you know, later the stripper tells Pam that she could strip. So, and probably I'm, make more money than working at Thunder Mifflin, so. It's true. Uh, so let's see. So that happens. Elizabeth the stripper is upstairs. I have to say her full name. I'm just trying to be respectful. <laughs> Elizabeth the stripper. Um, ben Franklin is still hanging out creepily talking to Pam. Um, he does get into a bit of a thing with Dwight, who is convinced, or rather, not fully convinced, that, like Jim says, this is the real Ben Franklin. <laughs> <clears throat> so, I mean, and it's got it's impressive how much regular history and Ben Franklin history Dwight knows off the top of his head. Uh, ben well, we is assume important. he knows it. He might have just, like researched, <laughs> but he That's seems true. like the kind of guy who would know this stuff. You know, just to who Dwight is. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, Michael doesn't want the lap dance. We've talked about that. I mean, that's about it. The episode just kind of peters off with a couple more jokes here and there. Right, and we already 
you know, touched on Jane and Michael and, you know, he felt super guilty and he's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, sir, what would you give this episode? Um, I, it's a good episode. Not great. It's kind of there. I gave this a 2.9 out of 5 getting all the foot off. <laughs> okay. That's respectable. Um, I think I might have rated it a little higher. Let me just pull it up. I did. I gave it a 3.8 out of 5 Saucy Pams. Oh, Saucy Pams. Um, and it's interesting because just while Traveling Salesman in the Return, I gave such a high score for having so much going on. Um, I also liked how nothing really happened in this episode. <laughs> just a weird day with strippers in the office. So we're coming up on season three, episode sixteen. I got my numbers off of my notes. Um, Phyllis's wedding, directed by Ken Whittingham, and written by Caroline Williams. And I'm gonna say straight up, I do not like this episode. Now, why? Why is that, Jacob? Like this is one of those episodes. It's super, super cringy, and there's not enough humor even in the cringe to make up for it. Like dinner party is ultra cringy, but it's hilariously cringy here. Mm. We just don't have it. Like, I don't know. This is a hard episode for me to watch. Okay. I might, I, I feel what you're saying about, um, dinner party. Dinner party is like unwatchable to me. I can't, it's, <laughs> it's too real. You're going to have to. Damn it. <laughs> but it's, it's like, Dinner Party, I used to, I used to really have a hard time watching, but now it's easily one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so we start the episode with where's my list of cold opens? Oh, it's the uh, it's the Pavlov Pavlov's dog cold open. Yeah, with where, the where, where Jim's been pranking Dwight by like playing the window sound and yeah. giving him an Altoid. And I just love like the payoff where he's like, oh, my mouth tastes so bad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So have you ever tried to train somebody like without them knowing? No. You no, seem no. like a guy who might do that. You know, I, uh, while I definitely would be the kind of guy to start it, I think I would get like impatient with it and end up like trying to improvise a prank and just like throw the Altoids at the individual in front of me instead or something stupid. Like, I just need a, a, a sooner payoff. Jim is a saint for waiting as long as he does for some of these jokes to take hold, you know? But I, I couldn't do it. It's too hard. <clears throat> Give me a whoopee cushion, you know? Classic kind of guy. So, I mean, this is one of the better cold opens. Where do you think this sort of ranks in the, the cold open stratosphere? Is this like a, a top 10% cold open or? Yeah, definitely a top 10 um, percent of everything. I mean, probably one of the better ones of the season for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and season one, we've already found out had no cold opens. Um, yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think this is, uh, this is up there. I mean, it, regardless, Jim goes through some like weird moments where he like the, the, the Dwight pranks aren't funny anymore or whatever, but they're mm -hmm. always funny to us. And it, it's, it's a good one. I mean, I don't know if it's better than all of Dwight's stuff being wrapped up, which is pretty good. But, um, yeah, it's definitely up there. Probably one of the better Dwight pranks overall, too. Yeah. 
just because of the lasting effects of Dwight always hearing that window sound when it happens and then getting yucky mouth. Yeah, and this episode is interesting because there's none at the office. It's, it's pretty much all at Phyllis's wedding, right? Yeah, it's uh, one of the one of the earlier episodes to be. I mean, aside from like Diwali, which is like half and half, and Michael's apartment, which is also half and half, and the poor Richard stuff, which is split. But this is a very wedding-heavy episode. Mm-hmm. So, um, I will say, and I remember too, like when I was watching this around the time, a lot of people always had complained when they did episodes outside of the office. Um, but I like it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's just natural growth of this show, I think, is that, you know, we've already seen what they're going to do in the office, and so now we get to experience what it is like when they interact with the, each other outside of the office, you know? Well, that's always <clears throat> a weird interaction when you're around people that you are around all the time but aren't really friends with outside the office. Like, right. There isn't that, like, structure of, re, you know, reporting or duties that kind of it makes it awkward when it's like, oh, that's my boss or whatever outside of work, but he has no dominion over me at, oh, here. I can, you know, whatever. But so it's, if that, that's a good thing, I think, to look at because of how how much it, you know, does, how, how much hand, you know, what I It's really awkward at times. <laughs> and it's right. a good, and it, it's still of. An office thing. It's just not at the office, you know? Yeah, I mean, Dwight takes advantage of that fact later on in this episode. Right. Um, I, he doesn't set out to, but then the opportunity is presented to him, and he gives a he gives a gym look to the camera because, obviously, it's pretty great <laughs> to finally give it back to your boss the way they've been uh, giving it to you, you know? Right. So, Phyllis makes Michael part of the wedding to get six weeks off for her for her honeymoon. Right. Would you make that deal? Like, hmm. I probably. I think I would. Yep, that sounds fair. I think I would. I mean, ultimately, Michael doesn't really. Well, he gets kicked out, and she's already got the vacation. So in the end, he didn't risk. She didn't risk too much, you know. But she, I mean, he did kind of ruin the ceremony. And by kind of, I mean definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, this is where we find out her nickname was Easy Rider, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's true. I mean, but like you're saying, like you can't really know what people are going to do outside of... But it's Michael, it's, come on. Yeah, well, yeah, you should just <laughs> expect the worst anyways, right? Right. Yeah, because was, we were, I was watching this with my wife, and she was like, yep, I would have gone to jail for assault if someone had done that at my wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think I – but you know what? Actually, let me take that back maybe, and I'm going to regret saying this once I go to work tomorrow. But six weeks is a really long time. I mean, personally, I don't make enough money to go anywhere for six weeks. I could stay at home for six weeks, I guess. But I think after the first week, I'd already be bored. Um, so so uh yeah maybe maybe it's better not to invite him and get my whatever i get off two weeks or some nonsense like that yeah but so i would assume that this is separate from normal her normal vacation time too because you know most of the time right you know because obviously she doesn't have six weeks of vacation Mm. 
Uh, well, Pam, Pam has two. Yeah, like ten days or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that she takes in February or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> because I know take. when I went on mine, I just had to take vacation time. So this seems like it's extra time that doesn't interfere with your vacation time. Yeah, and you also got to wonder too, like, does Michael have the authority to grant such time? It seems like one of those things that like Oscar would come up a week or two in after Phyllis has already been gone, being like, Michael, why is Phyllis still getting paid? <laughs> and Michael's like, ah. Don't worry about it. Well, I mean, but you also got to think about how, um, granted, it really doesn't matter for Phyllis because, you know, Bob seems to be fairly wealthy. Right. But she's a salesperson. So the majority of her money comes from commission. So she's not getting paid all that much when she's not there and not working. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. So it probably doesn't even matter. I mean, I guess someone would have to keep up with her accounts or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like, but so she's probably only making, I mean, I don't want to put a number on it and be completely wrong, but you know, your paycheck when you're a salesperson is generally secondary or even tertiary, you know? Right. There's an interesting scene where uh, Dwight and Angela kind of meet up in the parking lot and they like, you can tell they want to be together, but not. So she's like, oh, break left, break left. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I said left. And he, but honestly, Dwight did the right thing there. He was already to the right of her. Mm-hmm. It would have been weird if they did some Blue Angels crossing streams kind of thing. <laughs> and so him and Jim walk into the auditorium together, and we get one of the great Dwight quotes of all time. There's too many people in this world. We need a new plague. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's when Jim starts again another prank on Dwight where he's like, I bet you a lot of these are wedding crashers. And it's great how close they are when they – oh, but that's Dwight's doing. Yes. Because like after – He's like right in his yeah. girl. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I will find them and I will remove them. All right. And so the next question is because we never see her again. Who's the hottie with Toby? I don't even know if she says anything. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, but, she catches the bouquet, doesn't she? Right, and then kisses, and then kisses Toby, and Toby's all like, "Yeah, go Toby!" Like it seems like there should be something there. She's super excited to be there, but we never see her again. And next episode, he's trying to hit on Pam. You know, Toby is. Yeah, you know, there are times where like Toby is obviously like a really nice dude that gets pooped on by Michael, mm-hmm. but then there are other times where he puts his hand on Pam's leg uninvited and feels that he has to sprint over a 10 foot tall fence to get away from the situation. (laughs) So I could see him hiring someone to come to the wedding. Maybe Maybe not, maybe not a full on escort as, uh, you know, Kevin's trying to suggest, but, uh, you know, yeah. Or maybe maybe bribe bribe a friend or something like that. Or yeah, but you're right. The kiss is kind of (laughs) iffy. Yeah. Yes, I I, I, I I did accidentally grab a girl's leg in class once in college. That was bad. <laughs> that was yeah. really really awkward. <laughs> Jeez. Because like I had a lot of classes with my girlfriend, and so you know we'd sit together and you know I'd you know touch her leg or whatever. And this this uh, friend of mine was beside me, like had her leg 
brush against mine, so I refresh. You just re reflexively just like grabbed your knee and like, oh shit. <laughs> oh, actually, I mean that's happened once or twice before because uh, usually in October we would uh, me and a group of friends would do some like haunted house nonsense, mm -hmm. and we were on a haunted hayride. And those things are packed. Right. So like I'm sitting next to my friends and stuff and our knees are like interlocking. So my my friend who's a girl was trying to put her hand on my other buddy's knee, but it was my leg. But it was very cold and I didn't realize it. So she had her hand there for like 10 minutes. <laughs> uh like gripping it or whatever and I was like basically frostbitten and I'm I'm not a very brave man, so I was probably hiding a little bit anyways. Um <laughs> And then when she saw it, she screamed, unrelated to all other scary things that were happening because uh, she didn't realize what was happening. And then I felt very weird because <laughs> I didn't want people to think I was enjoying it or anything like that. <sighs> I was like, no, really, my leg is dead. <laughs> and another uh, sort of a, one of the themes that kind of comes through this episode is Pam or Phyllis has stolen everything from Pam's wedding. Yeah, flowers, the, you know, invitations, you know, scrantonicity. Right. All of its, uh, which the I, flowers, right? You said the yeah. flowers, yeah, everything. Like, uh, and something I learned here recently, because I'm not a huge, like, I like the police, but I'm not, like, really into their deeper stuff. Like, I know the hits, and that's about it. Right. Uh, so, I was looking through one of, like, I was looking at them on Spotify, and I realized they have song. There's a song that says uh, it's um, Synchronicity. Yeah. And Synchronicity, too. I'm like, oh, even the band name is a take on the police. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kevin covered his bases for sure. <laughs> <coughs> but I, I got to give him credit, you know, like, does a pretty good job. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and you know, Kelly, Kelly notices that it's Pam's wedding. Like she tries to like consult her. Like this should be your wedding, you know? Right. Yeah. And so I thought it was interesting that Kelly would notice. You know, I always took that as wondering if she really noticed like the things that you pointed out, or if she just meant like generally like. You were the one who was next to get married, and obviously you're not. Yeah, I mean, because you could be right. She might have noticed, but you know, Kelly wasn't because she wouldn't have been involved. I don't think in the planning, though. We do know that Pam brought a lot of that stuff to the office. Well, you know, Kelly would be more than happy to to help, and so she probably had a lot of uh, unsolicited, you know, advice or whatever for Pam and. You know, it seems like Pam and um, Kelly are really friendly, you know, to yeah. each other. You know, not like they probably don't hang out outside of work, but at work, right. you because know, like Kelly talks her into doing the fashion show at lunch and all that, you know, stuff. So yeah. there's obviously some kind of friend there. Well, I wonder too. I mean, because. Pam doesn't seem like the kind of person who has a lot of friends outside of the office, especially the way that Roy had kind of held her hostage, so to speak. You know, like, hey, everybody in the office is going out to drinks. We should go. And Roy's like, no, let's go home. You know, so I wonder, too, if Pam feels that connection with Kelly. And Kelly's just a GD chatterbox with everybody, you know. 
Because <laughs> although I guess Pam does have some friends at her wedding. Yeah. But there's a lot of inconsistent stories about Pam. She's a mystery. <laughs> you know, she uh, you know she relishes in the days where she pretended she was PMSing so she didn't have to play volleyball. Yet, she's the expert volleyball player because of her college time. Doesn't add up, Jacob. I know, I know. That's one of the biggest inconsistencies yeah. in the entire yeah. show. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let's see, so... Oh, so another fun fact, of course, is the priest when saying Bob's name when he's doing his, uh, you know, will you, won't you get married? Mm-hmm. He does say Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> well, they, and we have Michael jumped gun twice trying to yeah. be the first to announce. We haven't even talked about the whole dragging the wheelchair down the... Oh, yeah. And then he, like, squeezes himself up on stage with the other groomsmen and stuff. And I mean, I think from a, like, behind-the-scenes point of view, obviously Phyllis's father was an extra, right? Mm-hmm. Paid this old dude to pretend to be the dad. But he has no lines, and, like, it's so hard for me to watch that episode and not, like, know that. Like, obviously, they didn't pay this man enough to talk. So they're like, don't say anything. Otherwise, we'll have to pay you more. Because the only problem that we know that Phyllis's father has is that technically he's bound to a wheelchair for whatever reason, probably old age. But he doesn't say anything, and he reacts to Michael weird. So, like, is he deaf? Is he not deaf and he just can't talk? Does he speak another language, maybe? Like, I don't know. It's just weird. It just throws me off. <clears throat> and Michael treats him like he's deaf. Because he's like yelling you. at him like, and all this stuff. And he has his off- offhand lines like, I bet he can hear me now too or something. Right. So I kind of like, at least Michael thinks he is. Right. I don't know if he actually is, but Michael definitely, uh, definitely thinks he is. Okay. That's fair. He's definitely an extra. Definitely. And and Dwight, you know, doing his his best to make sure there's no wedding crashers there, kicks out Uncle Al, who has dementia. Right. Uh, So what else we got here for Phyllis's wedding? So, okay, so that is the wedding part of it. Right. uh, That goes and they get married and it's great. We go to the reception. Kevin's band's doing their thing. Um and this is where Michael pushes one too many buttons. He tries to send back undercooked chicken, which is actually fish. Um, he wants to get in on the toasts. Um, and this is where he messes up. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I, I, if, if, when time isn't a factor. So he definitely, definitely didn't like have a good sense of how long he should be doing these things. I like to try out three or four opening lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if he had just stuck to one and like gave a simple toast, it probably would have been fine, but it's Michael. So obviously he's not <laughs> going to. Right. Yeah. It's very, I, I mean, again, I understand that Michael is like this crazy character, but and this is probably why you don't like the episode. But there's just such a lack of self-awareness um, that him being up there is just is brutal to watch, right? Oh, it's so tough. It's so oh, tough to watch. I do love, and this is like one of those things where I feel like 
someone in a writer's room was like either drunk or high and they said this thing and they're like that is so funny put it in uh but it's basically when he says the dictionary says a wedding is the merging of two metals but like obviously he's talking about welding right but like it's done so quickly and there's so much going on that like Unless you've watched the show as often as we've watched it, it's a hundred percent possible you don't even know that that's part of a joke, right? Like that he's just talking, you know. But it's so funny, but because to Michael's be fair, so- I mean that does happen with Michael quite a bit, where like he, like some of those sort of throwaway jokes. I mean that happens a bit with Michael. Yeah, right. That's and, a good point. Yeah. But what I'm what I am sad about though is we didn't get to see the world famous da- uh, Beasley dance moves. I imagine they're not too well. Well, non-joking, they're probably very dissimilar to her dance moves in Diwali, which is a lot of this hand motion, apparently. Right. Um, realistically, I would love it for her to be the uh, the Elaine dance moves, the little kicks from Seinfeld. You know what I'm saying? No, never watched. You don't know that joke? Oh, Jacob. Well, listen, if we ever do a Seinfeld podcast, you are not invited. (laughs) Because you don't know little kicks. Well, maybe maybe it would be good because I could go in cold because I've never seen it. That's true. I mean, that show also has like nine seasons. So if you want to, after we're done with this, you want to sign up for another two-year-long podcast, uh, that's that's a way to go. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. And we also hit the point there, like you were talking about earlier, where Dwight bounces Michael out of, like, he, Michael is yeah. trying to sneak in, and you can tell he's just, like, super happy he got to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, we also briefly meet Uncle Al. Yep. Who is an older man with dementia, uh, who Dwight also kicks out, believing he is a party crasher. Um, and the Uncle Al stuff, until he meets back up with Michael, also scary. Uncle oh. Al trying to cross that road. I'm like, oh my god, we're about to see someone die right now. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it would have been kind of. This is like the show for it, but there could have been some interesting stuff if like Uncle Al had gotten hurt. You right, know, right. <laughs> like you know, seeing what Dwight, how Dwight would handle it, knowing he screwed up. Yeah, yeah, that would have been tough. <laughs> Um, but this is not the type of show that would do that. No, thank goodness. I mean, if you had problems with that, this episode before, <laughs> the death of Uncle Al would <laughs> definitely make this a virtually unwatchable episode. <laughs> um, then we get into some dancing, though. We do get into a bit of dancing. We've mm-hmm. got uh, Jim and Karen doing some slow dancing with some longing looks from Pam. Then we have a fun, flirty conversation between Pam and Jim at the bar. Um only to be followed by some sad eyes from Pam, ultimately to slow dancing with Roy and Pam outside that Jim does not see. Yeah, but he saw he's, well, he, he sees does him see leaving, final, and he yes. just looks so sad when he sees him leaving. And then we are uh, entreated into a fun rendition of Everything is Magic by Karen Filippelli. Yep. Um. <laughs> <clears throat> Whose father is not Quincy Jones? That's only, <laughs> yeah, it's only Rashida's father, not uh, not Karen. Um, so that happens, and that that was really weird to me that Pam did that. But we know from Wedding Crashers that weddings are a place where you know odd hookups happen. 
yeah. exactly why Owen Wilson is still going to weddings to this day that he wasn't invited to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it closes out the great scene where Phyllis is throwing the bouquet, and it's about Kelly's about to catch it. And Ryan comes in and swats it <laughs> into yeah. whatever the green the girl in the green dress. It's the only way you know how to describe her yeah. <laughs> into her hand, and she like kisses Toby and. Yeah, it's pretty great. Well, uh, well played by Ryan. He saved himself there. <laughs> There's a bit with Michael where he's like, he talks about how you know they say that weddings go by so fast, <clears throat> and you know if you're ever at that point in your life, trust me, it's true. <laughs> right. it, it's, like it took me probably a, a month to remember everything from my wedding because it like was coming back in like pieces. <laughs> I mean, I used to work at weddings because I was a. Uh a freelance videographer for weddings. And I can tell you, I mean, the bride and groom are working almost as hard as anybody else who they've hired to work at that event. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Cause you know, they're answering questions for guests and they're directing all of the various people they've hired and they have to orchestrate when me, the videographer gets to eat or whatever, you know, right. <clears throat> um, they're making sure people aren't too drunk or dealing with the people who are too drunk. Um, they have to be the last ones to leave the reception because they have to make sure people are like, you know, sorted out and everybody has a ride home or whatever. Um, I mean, when I was younger, I was always under the impression that like the honeymoon took place like right after that. But honestly, a lot of times it can't because you married folks need time to recuperate so you can go on vacation. Otherwise, you're too tired to go. Yeah, that's I mean, we I definitely uh, intentionally did the flights. So we would have a, a fair amount of downtime. Right, right. Yeah. So like, but we would like, we, you know, after everything, you know, we were like, all right, it's time for dinner. Because we had a early afternoon wedding. So like we go out, we find this like Buffalo Wild Wings. We just like sit in the corner and eat wings and drink beer and like go, oh, God, I'm so tired. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that, that's smart. That's what you got to do. Because um, I remember as the videographer, it was a 12-hour day for me. So I show up at, you know, 10 in the morning, and I'm not leaving until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And at 10 o'clock, I'm already there when the bride is already all done up, which means right. she's been up for three or four hours, maybe longer, you know, if she's doing it real fancy, mm-hmm. getting her hair did and all that jazz. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I do not envy married people. Or the people who still work for weddings. <laughs> Thank goodness I'm done with that craziness. Right, so, so what are you? What are you giving this episode? Um, well, like you said, it's well. So I gave this a low rating, not the same reason you did, but I think ultimately because it's just a fine episode, nothing crazy. So I gave it a two point two out of five global plagues. <laughs> I'm going to change my my thing now. Oh no, I took it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know this episode's fine. Um, like if I can get past the cringiness, you know uh, it's like a two point five. You know, just kind of middle of the road. And, like, it, not a lot really happens. I mean, it's funny at in points, but you know it's just kind of a there episode. Um, so two point five out of five. Um, Creed switching uh, cards in the presence. Nice and succinct. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so we are going into business school, season three, episode seventeen, 
directed by the one and only Joss Whedon, and written by Brent Forrester. Can I tell you that every time I start watching this episode and I see that Joss Whedon directed it, I'm like, oh, I didn't know he directed multiple episodes, you know, or like this many episodes rather. Mm-hmm. Um, because I always forget that this is the episode with the bat. Uh-huh. There, there's so much stuff happening in this episode that like the bat episode feels like it's got to be part of something else. Right? Yeah, I do yeah. that too. But uh, this is the bad episode. It's his first episode he directed. He he also directs uh, Branch Wars later on. Right. So or let, let's just let's just get to the bat. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, th- this might be the best episode long prank because most of Jim's pranks are like really quick. You know, they're cold opens, whatever. But this is a fantastic full length episode prank. Yeah. I don't know why he never comes back to it, but. It's a great prank. He finally gets Karen involved. It's actually the, one of the first episodes where I'm like, oh, they actually really do work together. You know, and they're actually kind of playing with each other and messing with Dwight and all that stuff. Yeah. No, it's – it's. Um, I mean, obviously, he's probably sitting at his desk doing some research in between the bits that we see. Right. But uh, he plays it, like, perfectly from the garlic bread – to the way he walks out at the end of the day, you know, Angel's the subtle, crucifix. yeah, the subtle things that are said so that Dwight isn't directly involved, but overhears. Right. Uh, yeah. No, it's it's a really good bit, and it's too bad like it doesn't come up again, you know. But uh, yeah, it's very good. <laughs> so, something else I want to hit. So you know. Michael starts telling people he's going to go be professor emeritus, blah, 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 at business school. Yeah. Uh, and he starts thinking, talking about how, you know, he's like the boss is like a teacher, the cool teacher, like Mr. Handel, who, you know, would hang out with us and then hooked up with one of the students and then like 12 more people came forward. It really ruined eighth grade. Yeah. So, so far we have learned all these terrible things that have happened in Michael's life. And so I've been wondering, like, t- does Michael have the worst life ever? <laughs> it kind of feels that way. Um, you know, so do you watch 30 Rock at all? No. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I just feel like there's a lot of times, especially maybe even in real life, too, where people say these things. And as the observer, we're like, wow, that's really terrible or whatever. But then, like, down the road, we find out that whatever it was really wasn't that bad, you know? Uh, okay, well, right, and I, I had that thought, too, but, like, if you can take it at face value. Yeah, no, if you take it at face value, it's terrible. <laughs> He's pretty terrible, yeah, um, not great. I mean, that being said, he wasn't directly affected, hopefully, by this uh, teacher abuse thing. So right. he was just there, you mm-hmm. know? So he was one of, you know, however large that school was who had to experience that. So fortunately, this wasn't specifically involving his terrible life. You know, this isn't as bad as maybe his mom kissing his butt. (laughs) (laughs) Or the misplaced happy birthday Michael cake. Or, yeah. Just, I... Maybe it's one reason he's so weird is he's just had a bad life. Yeah, I mean, part of me wonders, too, like, if his mom is, like, some kind of weird, uh, like, 
like a no no wire hangers kind of mom, like a mommy dearest kind of mom, Joan Crawford, like scary. But I don't know because we've heard her mom on the phone, heard his mom on the phone. And she sounds totally normal. When? Um, when he has to call to reveal that he got engaged. But didn't, right. But didn't, that's, right. Yeah, that's it, yeah. <clears throat> and it's two sentences, but mm-hmm. she sounds normal. <laughs> they all sound normal. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's the thing. <clears throat> Norman Batesy. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. But that's why I got to wonder, like, if maybe Michael's mom was, like, weird and kind of, like, overbearing. But I really feel like just Michael's a weird guy. Maybe he's got some mental thing going on. He's a little off, you know? Maybe. <laughs> With his little suits. <laughs> so this is what's also revealed that Pam and Roy are officially dating again. Yes. To which Kelly says, you're so in love now. Right. So, like, I don't know. There's always weird rules that happen when you get back together with somebody. Like... Have you ever have you ever dated somebody again? Yes. So like are you one of those people where like like the relationship clock starts over, you pick up where like like how how does that work for you? Well, I think you do get this kind of sense of like newness. You kind of go back to like the best of those times first and like you re-enter an early honeymoon phase, but it also goes out the window way quicker. And yeah. all of the reasons why you didn't like that person come to come to a head much bigger, I think, than they had been, you know? Because if you're if you're crazy enough to get back with someone who you broke up with without reconciling those problems, then you're the kind of person who will stay in that relationship a second time until they get way worse. Right. You know? Yeah. So like obviously however Jim and Roy broke up the first time was probably at like the worst they had ever been. Which is why Pam will stay with Roy up until later when Roy definitely goes off the deep end. It's probably the worst he's ever been around her, you know? Right. Um, It's just bad choices lead to more bad choices kind of thing. But to be fair, I mean, Grant, we don't know how much time elapses, but it's only from business school to cocktails that they're quote unquote together. Yes. So it's really like an episode and a half. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, there's so much that happens in this episode. That's right, because this is the art show, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the bat and <laughs> business school. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's true. So it's only been two episodes, so maybe like a couple weeks, let's say, mm-hmm. right? Because um, Phyllis is back at least. Right. right. No, she's not in this episode. I think she's in... No, is she in... I don't... I don't remember... Uh-huh. Either. I was yeah. just actually just thinking about that, but um, so one thing I do, I do want to point out is so Dwight finds the bat right in the ceiling. He finds the right. animal stools, like oh, it's just a bird. Then he realizes it's a bat, and so something I think is cool is well and just interesting is like there's actually a, quite a bit of physical comedy in the office that just yeah. really co- is underappreciated. Like you see, like Dwight just like fly off reception's desk yeah <laughs> you know there, there's lots of like really good subtle um well i don't know about falling five feet in the air <laughs> that's subtle but right but like uh when jim slaps dwight and traveling salesman you know it's just little oh, itty bitty yeah. things that that just add this nice little layer to to everything no that's true 
I do appreciate the camera work in this episode because, like, it's always nice when we're reminded that the camera people are people in this world. Right. So every time Kevin runs for whatever reason and pushes a camera person, which happens <laughs> way more often than than we would think, um, you know, every time they're like hiding behind like a door and like peeking out to get like a little shot in between the shutters or something, mm-hmm. like it's those moments I think are really great. Another um, thing I like is cool. how how Stanley just straight bounces. Like as soon as the bat shows up, he's like goodbye and just yeah. walks out the door. <laughs> and Angela has a really great line too, where she's like, "There's poop raining from the ceiling." poop and she's got the plastic bag over her head and everything yeah yeah so that is one of my all-time favorite angel lines it might be the best angel line just the way just how she uh delivers it it's like she's so concerned yeah yeah but then we have mike at business school and so brian is basically saying look thunder mifflin's gonna be dead in five years so Michael comes in and starts giving his presentation. He rips up that poor kid's tech textbook. And like, so I don't, I'm not sure if like emerging enterprises more like economics or what, but that's like gotta be like a $300 book. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that kid takes it like a champ, right? Yeah. But because... he just looks so sad when they like, <laughs> well he does, but there, I, I feel like, and I'd have to rewatch it again, but I, I feel like I distinctly remember the last time I watched it where Michael gives the book back and he's like, you know, like that's more valuable. What I just thought is more valuable than that book. And the guy kind of does like this. It's, you're right. Totally sad. But he's like, maybe he's right. You know, like a little bit of a head nod. Fill full of life lessons and it'll be yeah. worth its weight in gold. Yeah. And we learned there are four kinds of business. Which I should have written down because I cannot remember all of it off the top of my head. But it was uh, rail, you know, restaurants, restaurants, tourism, um, airlines is the last one. Air, airlines, hospitals slash manufacturing and sales yeah. or something like that. Yeah, but yeah. he ends up like eight things, but yeah, there's only four. There's only four. <laughs> uh, Wikipedia's asking for money. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, and, you know, and he's talking about, uh, like, oh, yeah, we've got, you know, you've, you've got to have something, you got to have a building, and you got to have something to sell so you can make profit, a fancy word for money. Right. So you have a thingahoot or a whatchamacallit, like, oh, pulls out the, yeah, the, the candy bar, just great. chunks it <laughs> into, like, an open sea. He's like, so you can have a payday and, like, Beans a kid in the face. <laughs> like point blank. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's great about that bit to me is that to correctly pull out the right candy bar at the right time, he needed to have them in different pockets. Mm-hmm. So like six pockets were utilized to create this gag, like the inner jacket pocket, the two side pockets, his <coughs> pants pockets maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's commitment. And I also picture him in his apartment or condo practicing this, <laughs> whipping it out. Oh, oh you no, it's know. It's what you call it at the wrong time. Oh, you yeah. know we did. Yeah. <laughs> so here's another question. You're Ryan. Okay. And you have this a, a free letter grade bump if you bring in Michael Scott. Do you make that deal? You know, I... I would, because it's pretty huge in college. 
or business school or whatever. But he definitely underprepared Michael for yes. those questions. <laughs> so I, I think I would have explained some of that, you know, because um, his his lack of prepping Michael is what leads to him being moved to the annex. <laughs> well, uh, no, actually, I I don't believe that. I believe no. it's what how he talked about Dunder Mifflin is what really pissed Michael off. You don't think Ryan could have saved it by saying, like, sure, he said these things, but he didn't believe them. He was saying them for class. Yeah, he, like, he might be able to save it a bit. It's like, I didn't, you know, if he'd gone that kind of route, but really, I think it's because he was so dismissive of Dunder Mifflin and, you know, Michael's so protective of his company. Right. So, you know. Uh,. <laughs> The uh, So back in the office, they're trying to handle this whole bat thing. And Dwight goes up to Kree's like, are you willing to form an alliance that might have to take sudden action? Yep. Can you do this? Yes. Do you have a, do you have the tools to make a, a wooden stake? Like, what size? Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of scary how quick he was prepared with that. Like, I know Creed, I know Creed is exactly that like he like at some point they're just going to call characters creed characters because right. they're you know he is just there for craziness but he just plays it so well yeah um so ultimately right so michael's presentation ends up in him storming out not liking the questions um and that's all awkward <laughs> then we've got the bat situation where jim calls for animal control to come by and they're not arriving till six that affords him the opportunity to do these hilarious uh pranks that he does so let's let's go down the list of what he does mm-hmm. right first he pretends to be bitten in general right that bat flew by he's uh, got a weird bite mark but yeah i know it felt to bite me but there's no marks like i have this yeah. strange power right um next is the hot garlic bread right right uh, followed by the bright light off of Angela's crucifix. Mm-hmm. Then we get some funny bits of him awkwardly standing close to Dwight from behind. Like staring at his neck. <clears throat> yep. Um, and it would a... make sense for a vampire bat to come to a Sylvania. Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, which is also awesome. Um I'm trying to see if there's any other deleted scenes from that, but not really. Yeah, so that's that's about it. But as Dwight is prepping his final assault on the bat, Jim leaves for the day. He's got his coat up, covering his face. Actually, by the time he gets outside, it's fully covering his head. Right. right? Um, and he's like, bye, Dwight. Like, very ominous. Very, <laughs> I'm going to eat you as soon as I can. Jim's on a journey now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great too because not only did Dwight and Creed actually make a stake out of a broom handle, they kept the broom. So Dwight is sitting there holding a two foot long broom handle, but then there's still a broom attached to it. Like, why not cut that part off? <laughs> it's, it's still usable though, right? It's not full destruction company. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's true. That's fair. Uh, yeah. There's another great Creed Kelly interaction where Kelly's like, Kelly, Kelly tells Creed, "Don't you dare hurt that bat. It has feelings and 
all this stuff and Creed is like, yeah, animals can't feel pain. Then as soon as the bat starts flying, Kevin's like, kill it, kill it, kill it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're all awesome. animals, right? Activists until something gets in our way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we all feel like vegetarians until we're eating chicken nuggets. And you're like, oh, man, this is great. Um, so Dwight does eventually catch the bat. Well, Kevin – okay, first things first. Dwight and Creed can lock the bat into the conference room. Then when they go for it, Kevin is able to lock it in the kitchen area. Where he becomes a hero. Yep. Uh, I <laughs> now, it's, I have to assume the bat is in there for hours, which means Meredith is also locked in that bathroom for hours because she saw the bat and she hid in the bathroom to stay away from it. Right. So now, end of day, everybody's left except for the camera crew and Dwight and Meredith, which we were supposed to have forgotten about, I think, which I definitely did the first time. And as Dwight opens it and does his battle cry, Meredith hears it and tries to run out make her escape. The bat attacks Meredith's head. Dwight quickly, nimbly, puts a heavy-duty plastic bag over Meredith's head to subdue the bat, possibly suffocating her, definitely exposing her to a high chance of rabies. Yes, which we we find out later on. (laughs) Um, But he ultimately catches the bat. We don't know what he does to the bat. I would imagine he lets the bat go, but... Probably not, because Dwight also kills everything. So it's hard to say. Um, but that is that. Yeah. So after the yeah. well, the office closes up. Everybody, everybody leaves now. Then Michael and Ryan come back, mm-hmm. and that is like, where pack up your things. And he yeah. sends them to the annex, and Ryan, like, he's like, "Oh my god, no, yeah. don't, don't, no." This <laughs> is pure fear. Yeah, and and the episode ends kind of on that note the next day. So Ryan now is back there unpacking mm-hmm. his stuff, and Kelly's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And uh, it's great. Yeah. We also we got to hit the art show because that's a major oh, part. So Pam has her so art show. Though, it is sad, but that's where we get, like, the, the drawing of the office that is on the wall pretty, pretty iconic, much yeah. the entire time. Um, and then – you know, Michael shows up and he actually shows up and did something cool, you know, nice. And, you know, Pam hugs him and he's like, she's like, do you have something in your pocket? Oh, like, yeah. A chunky, which is the wrong thing to say there. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> he yeah. pulls out. I was like, you want half? He's like, no. <laughs> um, so I found out this fun bit of trivia mm-hmm. and I'm going to read off of the office.wikia.com. Okay. Just nine days after the airing of this episode, um, the events were referenced in Saturday Night Live. Rain Wilson was the host, and during his opening monologue, he took the audience on a backstage tour to prove that SNL was nothing like The Office, only to find the cast looking and acting like the show's characters. Kristen Wiig, as Pam answering phones, informs him that she also paints pictures and shows off her painting of the 30 Rock building, (laughs) Uh, which is pretty great. I don't watch Saturday Night Live, so I didn't know that was a thing. But there you go. <laughs> Very nice. It, it's crazy, too, that Rain Wilson would be invited to host Saturday Night Live because at that point he'd only ever been really in the show. Yeah. I don't even think he had small parts in movies yet. This you is know? when, like, <clears throat> Office was really, really, really getting popular. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, this had – oh, where is it? Pull it up. There we go. This had eight million 
Right now, look at the wrong one. Yeah, 8.8 million viewers when it premiered. That's a pretty big show. Yeah. We sound like Friends level, but it's still pretty good. But nothing is Friends level, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, there's another piece of interesting trivia. Michael packs a copy of Donald Trump's Think Like a Billionaire in an oversized deck of playing cards for his talk. Yes. I was, I, yeah, I was wondering, like, what's all in there? Because he's got, like, another book in there, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wonder if they would have had so many Donald Trump jokes if they had known he was going to be president. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. That's a different podcast. Yes. <laughs> so, right. So, and that's 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 a really great scene that you just described between Michael and Pam, though, because while Michael has expressed his attraction to Pam on several inappropriate occasions, ultimately at the end of the day, when Michael leaves the show, that relationship is much more father-daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those scenes that like really gets that ball rolling and shows that Despite his ridiculous behavior during Phyllis's wedding or the inappropriate comments he'll make during Diversity Day, that there's still a good person on the inside. Well, and he was the only guy from the office that showed up, you know, and that's – and it kind of right. is credence to that she doesn't have a lot of friends outside the office because at least we didn't see any of her other friends show up. Right. I mean, I think that's why Michael's visit means so much. I mean, obviously, Roy shows up because he's hoping to get a little – a little Pam Pam. Thank you, ma'am. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, so I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't think she's got a lot of uh, people on the outside. And obviously, I don't think she lives very close to her mother or father either. I think it's why it's a big deal when she visits and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, but, well, that, that might also be a retcon because eventually the mom does live in Scran, but she could have moved there, like after the divorce. Right. Because she doesn't move there until after or just before the wedding or something like that, right? That's sort of the impression that you get. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Right. Well, what are you, what are you gonna rate this episode? Uh, I felt this also. Well, it's tough, man, because I write these down after watching it, and I feel one way, but then we talk about it and we laugh, and it's so jolly, and I'm like, oh, it was a better episode than I thought. But I think I walked away giving this episode three out of five ebony towers. <laughs> Yeah, I really enjoy this episode. There's there's a lot of good gags going on. It's a pretty jokey episode. Yeah. Um, so, mm, I should have written this down because I don't have a descriptor yet. Uh, I'm going to give it a four out of five. It's kind of big. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, this is... This is a really good episode. I really yeah. enjoy this episode. Uh, four out of five um, vampiric genes. Nice. <laughs> uh, so thanks for coming out to the podcast today. Uh, we will hopefully get back on a more regular schedule. Um, we we do have Christmas and all that stuff coming up, so we'll let you know on Twitter and Reddit and all that crap. Uh you know, if we're going to miss an episode or something. Yeah, you babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it's it's good. We're, we're, we're doing great. We're making good time. Uh, I closed our schedule, but uh, we're, we're quickly approaching the end of season three, which in my personal opinion is like we're up there in pinnacle office. 
Um, it's only downhill, guys. <laughs> well, season That's four is pretty good, but you can reach us at brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. Visit us on the web at brokenjars.xyz. We have a Twitter out there. I can never remember the handle because Director Alex made a really funky one. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Just uh, we're on Reddit on the r slash under Mifflin, so you can you know comment on the episode there. Uh, yeah. So yep. thanks, thanks for coming out. Uh, have a good morning, evening, whatever. That's all I got. Yeah, I was gonna say something snappy, but I got nothing. So, <laughs> peace out. Bye.